always blown away by my guests' honesty and openness to talk about their stories, you know, and the struggles they've been through, how they've overcome them, the impacts it's had on their lives and their families as well. You know, the Struggling Mind podcast is just a space where they can have that time to give their version of events and talk about what's been going on. It's a chance for them to pass on some insight and pass on some knowledge to people that may be going through the same things. There is swearing in these episodes and please, please be mindful that there may be some triggers in some of the subjects that we've spoken about as well. Welcome to the Struggling Mind podcast with me, Lee Anderson. On today's show, we have Carolyn. Hello, Carolyn. Hello, Lee. How are you? I'm good. How are you feeling? I'm good now. Good, thanks. I'm excited for this. Oh, yeah. Do you just want to let the listeners know who you are? Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Carolyn. Um, I'm living in the south of Ireland, and I'm an advocate for POTS. That's postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, for those of you that don't know. Excellent. Okay. Um, listen, thank you for, com- for coming on to the show. I really appreciate it. Um, so what I do is I have three questions that I ask all my guests. So it allows me to kind of balance my anxiety and my excitement out and just to kind of get a little bit of random information about you. So are you up for that? Yeah, let's go. Excellent. Okay, so question one, what's your favourite sandwich? Oh, it'd have to be corned beef and cheese toasty. <laughs> We spoke about this the other day, didn't we? <laughs> I love it. You have to, and the cheese has to be melted and stringy. It's the only way to eat it. It's beautiful. And did you tell me it was mozzarella or was it just normal cheddar? It's, you know, when you get the bag and it's mixed with mozzarella and cheddar, you're supposed to put it on a pizza, but you look, whatever's in the fridge, because I'm the sandwich <laughs> in this house. So what can you do? Excellent. Excellent. Do you know what? I won't even bother. I love corned beef but i don't think i could do corned beef and cheese together i just it's just the combination that just my taste buds would totally reject um okay question two what would be your superpower and why my superpower would have to be without a doubt peace of mind wow i like that that's really cool that's really cool yeah it's something it would be it's something everybody wants. It's something everybody needs in life is peace of mind. So if you could have a superpower, why not give what money can't buy? Just Absolutely. So, yeah. I love that. Peace Best of mind. Time. How cool. And the third and final question is, if you can only keep three apps and delete the rest, what three apps would you keep? Okay, three apps. One, definitely Instagram. It's the only social media account I use. Um, two, definitely Spotify, so I can be listening to cool podcasts like yourself, please. <laughs> I like the link there. And um, three, I, th- I was thinking about this and I was going to say, like Google, because Google technically is an app. Well, it depends what sort of phone you've got. But I mean, yeah, I suppose it is. Well, there is, yeah, I suppose it can be classed as an app. But I think we can kind of push that to one side because that would probably that's like someone saying they want to keep the phone app you know it is a phone so therefore we need that app so google we can keep google so i'll allow you that one search engine we all we we google everything in life don't we we do actually we do so oh yeah okay so do you want the 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 google search engine as being your third app um that now or else um I don't want the banking one anyway, definitely, because nobody wants to check how much money has gone out of their account on bills on a weekly basis. <laughs> so we won't do Wix, I think, because I use that a lot for my website. So Okay, that's cool. I've got Wix as well. Um, right, so listen, we met on Instagram. But actually, how we met was on this Sunday night um elevate and support network group um and i remember the first time i met you you come on and you had your screen turned off and you had um your your microphone on mute because it was something that we said if that was what you feel comfortable with and i noticed that over the weeks slowly but surely you started to kind of like put your screen on and then you put your microphone on and then you'd every now and again you'd say something um and you just allowed yourself naturally and organically to kind of just come out and sort of talk about you and introduce yourself 
And since then, we've become kind of really good friends. And what I've discovered from you was um, that you were suffering with something called POTS, which I'd never heard of before. Um, and it's only been recently that you've been really sort of, you know, bringing more awareness to it. And hence the reason why I asked you to come on to help you raise that awareness. Do you want to explain to the listeners what POTS is? Okay, POTS is, POTS actually is quite common, but it's just not known of. Um, it's a dysautonomia, it comes under the umbrella of dysautonomia, which is a dysfunction to your autonomic system. So like ME, MS, fibromyalgia, um, anything that's due neurologically, that's what it comes under. So POTS stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which basically means your body is fighting with gravity. So to do something simple, from like anybody would do from a sitting position to standing, my body works 10 times harder for me to just stand up. So it's just, it's in a fight with itself 24 seven for something that we all take just for granted as standing up. So yeah, that's, that's what I have. So when was you diagnosed with it or when did you find out that you had it? I was diagnosed 17 years ago. Um, I, I suffered for years on and off um, with, with dizzy spells, but I just put it down to, you know, like when you stand up fast and you're, you get dizzy. So I put it down to that or I put it down to the work line I was in. I was retail manageress, so I was on my feet all the time and I thought maybe fatigue was coming from that. It's only when I started to have fainting episodes that I said, you know, enough is enough. I better go to the doctor. So I went to my own GP and discussed it. They put it down to anxiety, depression, and tried me on medication for that. They just said it was run down over the line of work I was in. So... I would wake up during the night. I remember one particular night and I had my firstborn son and he was only small. And I woke up with terrible, like nauseous feeling in my stomach. And I went to run into the bathroom. And all I remember is waking up and I was literally the whole left hand side of me, black and blue. I woke up in the back. So I had fainted riding inside on top of the vat. So um, I said, that's, that's something is seriously wrong here. So we went and we had it investigated. So I had many, many tests done, um, MRIs, table tilt tests. That's a major test they do to detect POTS. Anyway, they strap you into a table for about 45 minutes. It's like something out of Frankenstein movie. Um, they have you wired up to every type of machine and they slowly elevate you up. So your heart rate's getting higher, your blood pressure's dropping, all that kind of stuff. Um, every test done. So they came back then with the conclusion that it's POTS. So I'm looking at the consultant and the consultant is looking at me. I've never heard of this. And he hands me a prescription for a beta blocker. I'll never forget that day, that man, um, big, tall, about seven foot Canadian consultant. He, he still gives me trauma when I think about it. It makes my skin chill. Um, yeah. Handing me a, a yeah, beta blocker to slow down my heart rate. Um, a pair of compression tights to get the blood pumping back up my body and said, Go home and get on with your life. You'll be grand. It won't kill you. So imagine 17 years ago going through Google, which wouldn't have much up on it 17 years ago. And I'm trying to figure out what postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome is. Now, I can't even spell it. So Google couldn't even correct me because I couldn't spell the word. So there, was, there, wasn't, much, there wasn't much about POTS up there. So I had to start doing a bit of investigating myself. Um, to the degree of my like my symptoms were when I'd stand up my heart rate was increasing so high that my blood pressure was dropping so my brain didn't know what was going on because my heart rate was going so fast my blood pressure was dropping and the blood wasn't circulating through my body properly so every organ was overcompensating for something else because of lack of blood lack of oxygen um so basically I tried the beta blockers wasn't getting any results anything like that from them um, I went to my doctor again and said, my own GP and said it to him. So I came off them. Um, there was no real help after that because every medical practitioner consultant I was going to was saying, oh yeah, it's, it's quite common, but we don't know anything about it. And I couldn't understand the fact if something is so common, how can you not know anything about it? Um, they could do many, many tests, but there is no actual identification of a test um, to show what POTS syndrome is. 
there is no cure for it. It is a chronic illness. It will never get any better. But at the time, 17 years ago, they had said to me, it's very strange. It's only young people that get it. It's children's age. And it's, more, it's more common to women. Um, but men do get it. That you'll grow out of it. So and like, it's, it's a condition that you don't know anything about. It's very common and you're telling me I'll grow out of it. So there was nothing, they knew nothing. I, there was nothing for me to research because there wasn't much about it. So I kind of left it then, I was getting no help. And when you're going in now to a doctor and they're saying, we've done so many tests and you would, there's nothing coming up in your bloods, there's nothing coming up in anything else. There's nothing else that we can actually do for you and there's no treatment. I decided, what's the point of me going to see a doctor anymore? Just leave it off. And I'd done that for 10 years. And those 10 years of not going to a doctor because I was getting no answers. They were looking at me. They were telling me it was all in my head. They were saying, take more anti-anxiety tablets, take depression tablets. It's all, it must be all made up. That was their answer because they didn't know anything about it. Now, that's not down to them. If they're not taught about something, they're not going to know. So um, after about 10 years, my symptoms they were just getting really, really bad. Chronic fatigue was kicking in too now the difference between tiredness and fatigue there's two totally different things um you're waking up every morning without feeling that you've had a full night's sleep you're totally exhausted you're totally drained but yet your body doesn't want for you to close your eyes and go to sleep it's because you're not tired you're just fatigued that was getting worse um muscle spasms were getting worse to where i was dropping things i'm a single parent with two kids so i was getting real really worried about myself so I said it's time to go back and have this re-investigated re um so I went went back to doctors and my brother actually um got me onto a consultant heart specialist so I was put into which I'm under now consultant of geriatric medicine at age 41 I'm under a geriatric consultant so the geriatric would deal with elderly people with you know, people with strokes anything got to do with the heart now, this is where the battle comes in with this autonomy, and it's not just here in Ireland, it's all over the world. They'll fight to say whether it's a cardiologist problem or it's a neurologist problem. Nobody wants to take ownership of it because nobody knows what they're dealing with. So um, go forward and back more tests, and I was put on copious amounts of medication, more so um, medication to get to, to not raise my blood pressure but to try and push the blood up into my body to where it should be going to stop me from fainting so I could be okay on my feet for about 20 minutes and after that then it's out gone just out of nowhere um which does in its sense make you a prisoner in your own home and it's not a, a type of over exaggeration I am at home I'm a single parent, so I have to keep going and do what I can do with this illness for my, my children because I have to be there for the children. But if I go out, it, this brings on anxiety before I leave the house. If I go out, what if I faint? And it's constantly there in your mind. A journey to go out is where would the nearest taxi rank be? Um, will I meet some of my friends? Will they be there to meet me if I got out of a taxi? It's do I have enough salty snacks in the bag? Am I dehydrated enough? It's just, it's just a big ordeal to just get outside the door. And you're trying to explain that to somebody when somebody looks at you and can't understand anything because you physically don't look sick. You look fine and healthy. Um, that goes under, that's where it goes under your bracket of invisible illness. Um, it's not to say that just because somebody doesn't look sick doesn't mean that they aren't actually sick because none of us know whether it's a physical illness or a mental illness none of us know what's going on in somebody's life so um eventually after going forward and back to the, to the cardiologist still kind of getting no getting nowhere um dealing with other type of symptoms that come along besides having pots you get what are called crossover symptoms so you could end up with like i have gi issues I have CVI, that's chronic venous insufficiency. So not only do, with the POTS, do I suffer, like is it have, I suffer, I should say, have hard trouble getting the blood up into my heart properly. I've got CVI, so that's an actual leak in the valve, the venous valve. So the valves aren't contracting anyway to push the blood back up from my legs back up into my heart. So the two things are fighting against each other. So there's really nothing at the moment that can get the blood up quick enough 
Um, if I'm sitting down on a chair or lying down, I can run the world. There's no problem there. But when I'm standing up, that's, that's where the issues come in. So I decided to start um, investigating more into it myself because to me, after 17 years of doctor extension, well, we don't know what it is. So we don't really know how to help you. Kind of, it wasn't good enough because I've been left alone by the system and the 10 years of having no help, I deconditioned my own body, which made my own symptoms get worse. And they say to try and exercise. You try to explain to somebody that has um, an increase in heart rate three times higher than an Olympic athlete. That's what it has been brought down to. My heart rate just on standing. You try to say to them, run off there to the gym and do a bit of cardio and get your heart pumping, which what we want is for our hearts not to be pumping any extra because we don't want to end up on the flat for back. Um, so we're still in, the, in the, the sense of going to the cardiologist. Now, after 17 years and me fighting a bit more, I finally got a neurologist to, to take on my case. But obviously with COVID, everything has been put on the long finger. So uh, we're waiting on that. And in the meantime, my own son, who's 14, has had the very same similar symptoms as to me. So we're waiting on having Blake tested for it as well. Um, so it's given me more of a fire in my belly to get more answers to because having a chronic illness and having a visible illness and people saying to you, but you don't look sick or get up and do something. You're just being lazy. And it's all this, you know, the stigma that comes around it. Like I have a disability pass to travel disability. And if I go to sit in a disability spot on a chair or, um, or on a train or on a bus, people look at me as if to say, how dare you sit on that? You don't look sick. But if I walked onto that train or bus and my leg was in a the cast, they'd all be jumping up um, to let me sit down. So this is what's given me more and more passion um, to fight this, to give a voice to people because having to do this for 17 years and get no answer. And now more and more people are being diagnosed with. There's a lot of people with long COVID that are now being diagnosed with POTS. Um, this is still what they, there's still the illness that they don't know how to treat, doesn't have a cure, it's incurable. It's chronic illness, which means it's incurable. It's not going to um, go away. But yeah, just get on with your life. Um, what is what really has really bothered me and it's it's not good enough it's not good enough it's the same as in the sense of mental health because somebody doesn't look like there's something wrong with them there isn't anything wrong with them there needs to be more help out there there needs to be more for chronic conditions there needs more to be done for invisible illnesses and it needs to be done now so that's why I've taken up and started this journey to try and get it out there and advocate for more and more people so they don't have to go through what I went through for 17 years Wow. I am gobsmacked, <laughs> literally gobsmacked. I mean, I was just literally lapping all of that up. What's so what's the symptoms and is there is there is, is, are the symptoms different from person to person or is there are they, are they the same? No, the symptoms are different from person to person. The only common symptom for POTS would be the increase, the increase of heart rate. Now you can have either really, really high blood pressure with it or really, really low blood pressure with it. Um, it's it, it's really like flu-like symptoms. It's like having the flu 24-7, the aches and pains and stuff like that. But they can't narrow it down to one, excuse me, one exact symptom bar the, bar the heart rate. Um, the symptoms are you chronic fatigue, dizziness, nauseous, um, we get muscle spasms, tingling, I get tremors some days, they're worse than, than other days, which they're now actually giving people with POTS the, a tablet that they give to people with Parkinson's to try and help people with POTS with the tremors. Yeah. Um, okay. So there's, there's more and more, there's more and more investigation being done into because more and more people are standing up talking about it. Um, we get flare up days. I don't know if, any, if anyone understands a flare up day. It's when your symptoms, um, exceeds to what they would be on your average day your average day you could be a level five level to six you're in constant pain you're still in a struggle you're still dizziness but it becomes a way it just becomes your way of life after that length of time flare up what days do, sorry go on what, what is a flare so what does it describe what a flare-up day is just so people are kind of aware of that okay. a flare-up day is when your symptoms increase to a maximum as to where you can't get out of it right 
the pain is excruciating to where you end up having to go into hospital. It's it's your normal symptoms multiplied by 10 and it can come out of absolute anywhere. There's no there's no indication to it. Stress can bring it on. If you've done something on a Monday, if I've cleaned the house on a Monday, you can be guaranteed for sure by Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm going to have a flare and it could last for an hour or it could last for a month. Um, we, we do this thing with, with people with dysautonomia. We have a thing where we call spoonies. We give each and every one of us 12 spoons a day and we're only allowed work off 12 spoons. So it sounds funny enough, like if, I'm having, if you're having a shower, that would take up four spoons. It uses that much energy for us. If I was to go and have a shower, I don't use the shower anymore. I use the bath. Standing in the shower and I come out, I will faint because I've been on my feet for that length of time and the pressure of the water. Um, so we manage this, my spoons like that, blow drying my hair. Might take up two spoons. I'm physically exhausted. I'm physically exhausted after that. So that's how we level out. That's how we manage our symptoms on a daily basis without having to go down too much of the medication, of the medication route. So we try and keep those around our, our flare-ups, but we know if we exceed those 12 spoons that we're, that we're in trouble for the next couple, the next couple of days or weeks. So, so what, about, what about things like, so you were saying, um, you know, go into the shops that you're conscious of how far they are, how long you're going to be out for, how long you're on your feet for. How do you manage that then? If I true, it deals with an awful lot of anxiety. I rely an awful lot on a good friend of mine that can pick me up at the door and will bring me into the supermarket. They'll do their own shopping, but I can, once they're beside me and close enough to me, because after about 20 to 25 minutes, I feel the pooling in my legs. That's when the blood just is staying down in my legs because I can't travel back up to the rest of my body quick enough. And it's it's literally like carrying lead or uh, blocks of concrete on your feet. When that starts, it starts feeling like the left-hand side of my body is starting to shut down. I get tingly. Sometimes I can get symptoms of Bell's palsy where the side of my face will drop and that. And that's just from being on, that's just from being on my feet more than what I should have been um so it's it's like it's like a rally race to run in and run out but it, with that brings ridiculous amount of anxiety and increase of panic attacks because it's it's a trauma before you even go out the door you know yeah because obviously you're thinking about what you're going to do but you're also taking into consideration how it's going to make you feel so therefore the feelings obviously bringing on the anxiety which i suppose is then shortening the time that you're going to spend out anyway um because you said like the bell's palsy, so that's like, that's that's kind of symptoms of a stroke, isn't it? Like the tingling yeah. and, and the drooping of the face. And so, is there no way that when they when they give you tests that they can kind of use these or cross pollinate in the way that they kind of use tests on people like you said that that have got um uh, what did you say earlier on? You said what was the word that you you used? Um, not motor neurons disease. What was the other one? Parkinson's. Parkinson's. Yeah. So, would they use? Can they do the same test that would use on someone that's suffering from Parkinson's on you? Well, it's, this I've seen this research. I think it has came out of. I think it's Dysautonomia International. It's came out of Canada-based because um, they are miles ahead. They're really, really into research. The government has given them money to get into research about dysautonomias, and I had seen it there just recently, saying that they were after doing trials and that they were starting putting. Uh, POTS patients on that type of medication to also I think they use the medication they use I think it's the medication they use for Parkinson's to for them to sleep at night so they don't have tremors or convulsions at night is what they're they're trialing now on POTS patients to stop the tremors I don't know why release is the only answer I can give you why they haven't come up with rhyme or reason or to where it's coming out of POTS is actually comes back from way, way back um, in the early 1900s, they used to call it um, something. It, they gave it some some name, like soldiers, soldiers, something. I can't think of it now. Um, there's another part of what's the cognitive. The brain doesn't work the best to get brain fog. Um, they used to call it then, but they used to say it was down to soldiers. When soldiers were away at war and they used to come back and they'd have all these symptoms of fainting and dizziness, low blood pressure or high blood pressure, weakness in their muscles. Um, they put it down to being away at war, to trauma, that it was all trauma-based. So they do think and identify that it's either, some of the symptoms from POTS are either generic 
or it has come from some type of a trauma. So, which right. would which would understand why one of our one of the biggest triggers for a flare up is stress related. Any type of stress and your autonomic system just goes into a total meltdown. Sure, because also you said there was kind of symptoms that were uh, anxiety-like symptoms as well. So that will obviously trigger stress. Is it hereditary? That's that's actually a good. Glad that you asked that. My father himself suffered with sinuscope. It's when you actually faint. Since he was a young, young lad, um, and I said that to my doctors when I was first diagnosed with POTS. And now the Blake has it. They're now thinking to a link that there is an actual link there. If somebody in any of your the, the line way down through your bloodline had ever suffered from fainting symptoms, anything like that, that it will, the gene does carry on. So it could, that's where it could have came from. Um, so we're going to investigate that for sure. They mightn't have the answer to that while I'm still around. Um, it might be more so when my son gets older, everything's taken so long. But yeah, there there's it's a lot more there's a lot more information about it now but i only believe that there is that much information because it's the patients themselves that are putting this information onto the internet that are putting it out there to help other people because when you come up with these symptoms and you go to the doctor and the doctor says but i've done blood tests and i've done this test and that test and there's nothing there it's all in your head and you're hearing that from a medical profession it comes and it sticks in your head and lodges there that this is in my head and it brings up an awful lot of anxiety and an awful lot of stress and worry to now that they've only discovered in a person with POTS, right, their adrenaline level is off the hook and the other chemical that would balance it down is non-existent in a patient with POTS. So a POTS patient is in fight or flight 24-7 or adrenaline level doesn't know when to come down at all at all. Um, so they're understanding that that's why that it makes more sense to people now why people were going in and they were coming across as if they just had symptoms of severe anxiety or severe panic. But it's down now to that, that our adrenaline level is way too high and we just can't normalize it in, in the system to bring it back down. So it's just panic mode all the time. You were saying that um, when you first got diagnosed 17 years ago, that it was common in young women or women of a certain age. Like, so are we talking teenage years or early teenage. 20s? Yeah, teenage. So, and you said it was very rare in, in men. Hmm. Uh, is that because they'd never displayed symptoms like men or they'd never really kind of come forward? Um, because obviously you're saying Blake might be displaying some, some form of symptoms of that. Yeah, I would say definitely because they wouldn't come forward. They're saying teenagers in girls and boys, and I would maintain myself because Blake, obviously my own son has just turned 14 and their, their bodies go through an awful lot of change. So yeah. I think back then, the reason why with, with the male side of it, they weren't coming forward because they put it down to just, oh, they're getting older, their body is changing. That's what the symptom is down to. They've done that when I brought Blake in first, but we had all the blood work done and everything was normal. It was only because of what, me having POTS myself that they're doing further investigating to why he was fainting. But I do think that's the reason why they did that. Just, just weren't coming forward. They weren't understanding the symptoms. It's like puberty and they left it off of that. So it's quite telling what you just said then, because the fact that, that Blake was displaying symptoms of assault and you went with him and they were doing tests and they couldn't really find anything and it was you that went well hang on a minute i've been diagnosed with this he is displaying the same symptoms can you test him for that now if someone else his son or daughter was displaying those symptoms but the parents never had those they would just think it would just as you said down to you know hormones and that kind of thing and then just carry on and then unfortunately like yourself would then be diagnosed with something say further on down the line um, and so it's, I suppose it is down to people like you that are suffering with it to actually campaign and raise awareness for it. You mentioned that um, you're now speaking to or engaging and connecting with people all over the world and that Canada has now in, you know, has given, the, given money to kind of research this. Is there things that you're finding out now from connecting with people in Canada what you didn't know that maybe you can use to help yourself? Yes, I'm after getting so much over the last couple of years since I started reinvestigating um, POTS again of how much advanced, how much doctors that there are certain doctors over there that it really, really bothered them 
and they wanted to know what POTS was. They wanted an answer. They wanted to know this autonomy. So the government, they pulled together basically and the government funded them and said, look, we'll give you a certain amount of money because this is a serious illness and we want to be the first basically, I suppose, to find out answers for all of this. I've got so much information from looking at those pages like Dysautonome International to see how, how actual common it is, how very, very common it is, how many people actually have it, how many people are like have different, so many different, totally opposite um, symptoms. Like there's no, there really is no two people the same or the tachycardia part of it, which is the increase of heart rate totally different there's people that need using wheelchairs there's people that are on 24-hour iv drips i will be getting a peg put in myself for iv fluids and to stay hydrated a patient doesn't stay hydrated um so you'd have to get regular fluids um so much now and it has only all come down to people themselves that have went and asked questions about it and pushed their doctors you have to know how to work the medical system. If, you want, if you're going to investigate any of this, you need to have to know. You don't need to be intimidated because doctors are very intimidating, you know, when you go in there. And we forget, but they are, but we forget that they are working for us. It's not the other way around. So if you have a question and you want an answer, I keep always saying to my children, if you don't ask, you don't get. Ask, it's your body at the end of the day. Don't walk out there like I did and stopped me going to the doctors for 10 years with my head bent down saying, I've got something got to do with pots and pens. I couldn't even pronounce the word. Um, and I have to go home with it and I don't know what's going to happen to me. And it just, and left myself. I should have went back to that Canadian doctor and said, excuse me, this is my body and I want proper answers. And I didn't, but I'm 41 now. I do that now when a doctor says, oh, I don't know what's wrong with you, Carolyn. Say, Come here a minute. You have to ask questions. <laughs> But you have to because you don't know your health is your, your health literally is is your wealth. It's so um, true. So when you go to the doctors now, do you go fully armed with information? I mean, do you, is there any patterns to, to to the symptoms? Are there things that maybe you that you never displayed before that you are now or that you're not that you did? Okay, with me, I've given I go to see my GP and my consultant a few times I've had been rushed out to the hospital by ambulance I've had paramedics come over to treat me there is no real treatment there's nothing they can do they'll give you a paracetamol for pain because I'm allergic to morphine and many other codeine stuff like that so they give me a paracetamol they'll put me on an IV drip and leave me there because they don't know what to do they don't know what to do with you so there's no point in me, when I have bad flare-ups, rushing out to the hospital and sitting and waiting around in a cubicle bed because they're not going to give me any more tests. They know what my condition is. They don't know how to treat it. So I'll go through the flare-ups at home. I'll see my own consultant in the hospital every three months. And it's just really a catch-up. Is there anything different? If I have new information and new questions, I do ask. Um, and they're left there. And they are good now under my own doctor um, to investigate, to get things done. Like I've had recently, I've had more MRI, brain MRIs done. Um, I'm now having in July spinal uh, MRIs done. So the team are very good to investigate. If I have an ailment, they're not saying, okay, Carolyn, but we don't know what it is. They're investigating. And I think that's the only thing you can do is to get a list and cross out. It's not this, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. At least listen to your patient and investigate and find out what like what it is. That's that's the most important thing. And it's the most important thing to patient is to be listened to. Like I always say, don't just hear what I'm saying. Actually listen to me because they're two different things. You can hear somebody, but are you really listening? That's so true. And it sounds as if you've got quite a good relationship with your consultant that you can go to them and say, look, you know, I've got this information. Um, you know, I think it's something that you can use to now go off and do some more research on it. So you're kind of helping them to help you, which is what you said, really. You know, unless you ask questions, you're not going to know. And it's your body. So therefore, they should be investigating on your mm -hmm. behalf. And so the people that you're now connecting with, you know, in, in different parts of the world, what's the community like in regards to part sufferers? Um. They were a good, we're a tight knit community, but we're kind of more open based to, we wouldn't just narrow it down to a POTS community. It's a dysautonomia community right. and a chronic illness community. So right. we're all people going through 
different symptoms, different ailments, but we're all put under the bracket of invisible illness. The thing that frustrates us all, you don't look sick, there can't be something wrong with you. Um, it's a great community because a lot of people spend 99% of their time in bed. They can't physically, they can't physically get out of it. I've never had a choice. I had to get up when I have two kids. So that kind of motivated me and pushed me, but I still know my limits. Um, people are isolated because you don't have friends. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Your friends are going out trying to do things and you don't want to be saying, oh, I can't do this now. I'm feeling sick or I can't do that because you're sick of, you're trying to explain to somebody something that you don't even understand yourself. And it's very frustrating. So if somebody says, how are you? We just tend to say, I'm fine because there's no point of going through, through the, and that's wrong because it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to feel like a burden to somebody else. Health shouldn't be, it should be spoken about and people should listen. It's the same as I was listening to some, some podcast the other day um, and they were saying, do you know, if so, you pass somebody you see on the street that you recognize and they say, hey, how are you? And they keep walking. Just like, why did you just ask me how I am? If you're not even going to listen, you don't, you're not even going to stop for me to tell you. And we just carry on as if, like, how are you is now a thing. Like just high five or waving at somebody. Hey, how are you? Do you want to know? Because I have a list of things here if you really want to know. <laughs> no? so, I down the road. Yeah, <laughs> Excuse me, you just asked me how I was. <laughs> at least let me finish the question. Let me, at least let me answer the question. Let me answer. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, we have a great community and we're, we're all helping each other in, in, that, in that degree. And it's good for the people that are isolated to be able to log on to such like Instagram and that. And know, hey, you're not on your own. We're here. You know, we got it. Or we can say, why don't you ask your doctor? Could it be this? Or if somebody... So I was I just came in contact with a lady today. Um, she herself, she had a picture on her Instagram where she was laying down the ground and she had her legs elevated up on her chair. And it was her first time having to do that for somebody like her. And it terrified her. She had got up to get something, get up off the chair to get something and she couldn't breathe. So she fainted onto the ground and she didn't know how, how to, what to do. She even wrote in her post, she said, I was scrummaging around the ground and crawling around and she said I, I didn't know what was happening so I just got my phone to ring a friend or an ambulance I think it was and she just thought if I lay down and I elevate my legs and eventually the blood had traveled its way back up into her lungs and I could giggle now it's not to giggle at I could giggle at it because it was her first time experience it and I'm I watched the television like this for the last 17 years like, uh, the ground is more comfortable for me that's how I sit my friends and family know that when they come in you'll find me on the ground with a pillow and my legs elevated up on the couch because it keeps it keeps the blood flowing around my body so it keeps my symptoms down and I was thinking isn't it great that we have now we have people like that that we can say look you don't don't panic that's normal it happens if this is the way you can you know deal and subside your symptoms good on you welcome to the you know welcome to the floor gang we're all cool down here you know so it helps i'm only laughing because of the fact that you're making me laugh in the way that you're explaining it and so when you say about that kind of that community you know, do you have that really open discussion about i know how you feel or i experienced this and when you do say to somebody how are you feeling you allow them to go actually i'm feeling like doo -doo 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 -doo. yes we do we do it's very open um it has to be because there's no point putting up all these pictures and pretending everything is great and saying I'm going to advocate for myself because first of all, you're advocating for yourself because you need the information and the education on it so that you can help other people. But you have to be, you have to be open and honest on it because people want to see this. You know, you have like people put up, would have up pictures and say, this is what you think I am. And you'll have them all dolled up in that. And then they'll put a picture split next to it. And they're there strapped up to all their machines at home. And this is what invisible illness is. You have to be very open. And we all are very open in it. I've had a few people um, private mail me and said, you know what's so good about this community is even though we're all isolated, you feel like you have somebody, somebody gets me. You know, for the first time, somebody can hear and feel and somebody gets me. And I reply back, I see you, girl. I see you. I know. Yeah. I know what it feels like. It's, it's our own gang. It's our own warriors, you know, and that, that's, what, that's what we are. It's a great community. 
it's really powerful to hear that is because knowing that even though you somebody isn't tangible that you can see them and you can have a conversation and you can engage with them and you don't feel on your own and you don't feel isolated um so you were saying about how for 10 years you were kind of pretty much walking around with your head down not knowing what it was that you was actually suffering with or not having much knowledge how does that does that affect you mentally as well it does affect you mentally um it, it affected me really really bad to um to a degree where i had really switched myself off from the world i'd isolated i had self-medicated um where my drinking was getting my drinking had got out of hand because i was sick feeling sick and no one was listening to me the doctors are telling me you've got a diagnosis you know what it is there is no treatment for it but i'm the one going home feeling horrible and being told it's all in your head increase your antidepressant increase your anti-anxiety um it got so bad mentally for me then i don't mind saying that i went through some really deep deep dark places to where i started to self-harm um i have all these tattoos covering i'm not ashamed of the of my scars i just like tattoos um to sitting there because it's inside in your head but i know i'm sick i know i'm re- i'm really i'm feeling and i'm at home i'm feeling this i'm not able to get up i'm not able to walk my children down to school because i can't stay on my feet that long um to sit in there and the only way for me at that time to show how much pain I was in and how much I was feeling was self-harming because then it was I was taking what was in my head and putting it onto my body and saying I can see it now you must be able to see it and it's strange enough into the fact when I'd go into my doctor and they'd see my scars from self-harming and they'd say but Carolyn you need to stop like no shit Sherlock but what the point I'm trying to make is they were making more attention to the scars for the self because they could see it nothing if I hadn't those scars there on my hands they wouldn't have known the depths of depression of despair that I was actually in which shows you invisible illness the whole point of me doing it is there's more to what you can see and people need to stop looking for what's on the outside surface um I haven't done that in 13, 13 months was the last time I had a relapse self-harm, but I'm all, I'm all good now. Thank God. Well, for each day. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. And so was self-harm in a way of, was it, was it a way of, you said it was a way of showing people how you were feeling inside, but then it became the primary issue. And then the pots became the secondary issue. I mean, really it should have been the other way around because one was facilitating the other. Um, and obviously they were more concerned about what they could see. So again, it comes back to what you said. When something is visible, it's treatable. When it's invisible, it's almost treated as if it's unknown. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, that was just exactly it. And that's when I had enough after having no treatment for POTS for 10 years, that I was going in and now after I was self-harming and I was on medication. And it's that, that's when it really bothered me to to exactly what you just said because you can now see something on me you want to look after that but when i'm coming in here all the time with all these and you're saying to me what well, there's nothing we can do you're fine you don't look sick you're sending me home that the deconditioning and the being ignored led and i do believe it, it led to me self-harming that's that was what my my main I was going to say main goal, that's wrong, sorry. That's what led to my main reason or, or a rhyme of reason. See, I have brain fog, I just can't cognitively say the words properly. Um, that led to my self-harming. It did lead to my self-harming because I had got to so deep, so, so deep and so dark that what was in my head and what I was feeling had to be shown. And to me, self-harming was the only way to release what was in there. You were saying to me, or oh, I know that you've been you've been studying, and you say that you you have brain fog. It's and so what it does is it almost like it slows down the kind of learning process for you, but you persevere. How do you how do you deal with that? Well, I've a motto. I believe in life. You can do anything if you do it your own way, and that's what I'm doing it my own way. I do. You can do things. I was terrible, and I put my hands up to say to say, oh, I can't do that because of was the constant thing that would come out of my mouth 
uh, until I woke up one day and said, I can do that, but I don't want to do that. It's two different things. So if, before I would say, I can't go for a walk now with you because I can't walk because of my condition. Now I'd say, I'm not going for the walk because after I walk, I know I'm going to be sick for the next few days. So the same thing with the cognitive thing. I had to always for years and years, people used to laugh at me and I'd say, it takes me three years to read a chapter of a book because I'd read the page and it wasn't going in. The written words just is no, it's no good to me. It just doesn't stick. And it would bother me and bother me. And it, it put me off of doing a lot of things in life. Um, until then I went and persevered and found my own way to do it so studying my studying is different everybody else's it's my way it may take me longer to do something but I do it and I get it done and it gets done and there ain't nothing going to stop me or tell me it won't get done because I can do it I just have a different way of doing it my way, seems to, my way seems to work i'm getting the distinctions and the diplomas so it seems to be working <laughs> celebrate the small victories and you know what there's nothing wrong with doing it your own way because if it works for you that's all that matters um so a day-to-day -day, give me a give me a little a little kind of lowdown of what a, 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 no two days are the same i'm assuming no 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 two days are the same um, we wake, I wake 6 a.m. My first, my first lot of medication starts at 6 a.m. the morning, it ends at half seven in the evening. Um, I rest in bed for an hour to an hour and a half because I can't get up straight away on my feet with just the dish. Um, I take the day as it comes. I can't really have a specific, we'll say, dialogue of I should, I do this, do this, and do this because no two days for me are the same. There could be some days that I'm not able to get out of bed, there could be some days the dizziness is is worse than nausea could be worse um i am mo very mindful of things that i do every day i used to scrub and clean the house i was only making myself sick i'd be sick then for weeks so i try and cut things down to small minimum times of doing things um instead of trying to do 10 things at once i just do the one thing and then let it be 10 days to get the rest of it done um Spend most most of the time sitting down because it's the only it's the only position that I can run the world from. Um, standing up, him to hope it <laughs> get me to doing anything. I'll end up tippling, and you'll probably be pulling me around by the ankle. Um, but I, but sitting down or laying down, I can do anything. I can run the world. I can be the next president. Um, so it's just it's just day by day. I take it easy. I know my limits. I know what I have to do, and um, what I don't have to do. It gets. Quite, I won't say boring because no two days are the same when you're living with this autonomia. So I wouldn't say it's boring. Um, I used to beat myself up before about it. Oh, I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. And I'd sit there and wallow in my own oh, self-pity. Woe is me. Um, but now I started doing just, just little things every day that keep me going and keep me, keep me motivated. And yeah, and that's just kind of, it's not really a routine, you know. But it sounds as if that now you've come to terms with what you've got and you've embraced that, that now you're using it to your advantage rather than allowing it to use it against you. And now that you've kind of, you've become more vocal and you're raising awareness around it, it's giving you a purpose. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely, um, I, I still go back to it and say, I'm spending that much time sitting at home, do something with it. I was given this for a purpose. This now is my purpose, you know. I have a condition, the condition doesn't have me and it's never going to have me. So we're going to either work together as a team or he just got to pack its bags and, and move on off out the door. Simple as that. But yeah, it's not, it, it took too much of my life and that's not happening anymore. So no. We're so what's next? What's next for Carolyn? And, what's um, next for Carolyn? When Carolyn has started up her own website. Um, so now when you type in things about pots and google you can actually find them because i do i couldn't do that 17 years ago so i have my own um web page at www.mypotsandme.com um it's basically a personal blog going through my own journey um of my, from my, when i was first diagnosed to day to day day to day blogging and some information i also have an instagram page which is also my pots and me underscore in between each word you know instagram do 
Um, we're there, I started that up again to keep it just between the community of anybody that is living with a chronic illness, anybody that's got invisible illness, dysautonomia, where people can come together and it's just for us. We understand each other. This is where the cool people hang out, you know, this is where we're warriors. And also I have an up and coming podcast, which will be out and about in the next two weeks. We start recording next week, funnily enough. And um, that's called the Warriors Unite podcast. And we shall be out in yeah two weeks time on Spotify, Mondays, 12, 12 a.m. Okay, so I'll, let me just let me just add a bit of context to that. So when this actual episode goes out, Carolyn would have released her podcasts anyway. So they will be out by the time you actually listen to this one. Um, I would like to ask you, what advice would you give anybody that feels that they're displaying symptoms or are currently going through the same things that you're going through or going through their own struggle in regards to POTS or a chronic illness? First of all, I would say journal, journal everything because the proof is in the paper. If you go into a doctor and you have dates and days of symptoms that you were feeling, if it's down on paper, they're going to listen to you more. So remember, you have an invisible, what they think is an invisible illness. They can't see it. You're telling them about it. They're not going to pay attention. Write it all down. Keep it all down. Document everything. Bring it in and it's in front of them. Secondly, I would say, you know your own body. Everybody knows their own body. You know your own limitations, what you can and can't do. Don't push yourself. On days you need to rest, please do rest because your body will thank you for it. Do not let this illness beat you. You know, it's part of you. You can live your life. You'll have a, you'll have a great life, you know. You're going to have days. Everybody does. This is what, this is what you have now and you're going to work together and just, just become a team be the boss always just say i wear the trousers in this relationship illness you know and reach you know reach out to people there's there's a lot of us out there and we're all we've all got each other's back so we got excellent excellent carolyn listen thank you so much for not only teaching me about what pots is and the fact that it's a chronic illness but also sharing your story i really really appreciate it and i just want to thank you again for coming onto the podcast thanks a million for having me i really enjoyed it and um, i really appreciate uh, you you're more than welcome and don't forget carolyn's podcast will be out by the time, by the time. you listen to this one so go and check it out what's it called the, the warriors unite podcast the warriors unite podcast you heard it first okay <laughs> carolyn once again thank you so much thanks a million cheers Thank you for taking the time to listen to this week's episode of Struggling Mind Podcast. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in today's episode, please reach out. You can also find some useful links in the bio. It would be amazing if you can subscribe, review and rate the podcast as well because any feedback is welcome. Stay safe and be kind to each other.